invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. If you look at the bulletin, originally I was going to be uh, continuing our series in the Belgic Confession, jumping to Article 2 uh, for our catechism sermon, uh, but I had forgot that Pastor Paul and I had agreed uh, to begin the catechism again, the Heidelberg Catechism, and so we're going to change things up, and instead we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we'll read verses 36 through 53. Here is the ending of Luke's gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was promised to the Virgin Mary, uh, was born. Uh, he, was, he grew in wisdom and in uh, favor of the Lord. Uh, he lived a life of perfect righteousness for his people, fulfilling the law for us. And ultimately bearing our sins to the cross, dying for us, being raised to new life. And now as he has been raised and appears to his disciples, he gives them uh, these parting words and this parting blessing. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36. This is the holy and inspired word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven." And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, in the back of the hymnal we sang from. You should find that on page 872. 872. Here in Lord's Day 1, we're introduced to the main theme of the catechism, namely that of comfort, as it begins to move us um, to think about um, our own sin and misery, how we are set free from our sin and misery through the work of Jesus Christ alone, and then how we ought to thank God for such deliverance. This becomes a summary of the rest of the Lord's Days of the Catechism. But Lord's Day 1, I'll read question uh, 1 and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 1, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. 
He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the main theme of the catechism as we have just read is that of comfort. But the the comfort that the catechism offers is not just a general or generic kind of comfort, but it is specifically a comfort that is found in Jesus Christ. The comfort that the catechism offers to us is a comfort that is found in no one else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not merely comfort, but it is comfort in Christ. And more than that, it is comfort because it is in Christ, that is with us in all of life, including the new year ahead of us, and even in death itself. A comfort that is with us no matter the circumstances in which we find ourselves, and a comfort that does not depart from us when we face final enemy, death himself. It is a comfort that is found in life and in death in Jesus Christ. And we might say then, in what sense can Christ provide us with such comfort? How can such comfort in life and in death be ours in Jesus Christ? And that's what we see in Luke chapter 24 as the culmination of the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ. And in many ways, as the catechism points our eyes to Jesus Christ, he, he Uh, the catechism gives us a similar posture to the disciples as they themselves watch Christ ascend into heaven, having finished and accomplished his work. Cornelius Van Til had put it this way. He had said, The spirit of the catechism is admirably exemplified in the scene that meets our eyes when Jesus led his disciples out as far as to Bethany and then departed from them and was carried up into heaven. When they saw him departing from them, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. He goes on to say, think now of the whole church of Christ, us here in the midst of New York City, with all of its members looking upward toward heaven, as did the disciples when Jesus departed from them, and you sense something of the spirit of him who confesses his faith in the Heidelberg Catechism. All right, so if you imagine the scene, right, that that we read in Luke chapter 24, the disciples um, disbelieving from joy and marveling at what they have seen have their heads not drooping downward in despair as they had even just a few days ago, but now with their eyes lifted heavenward with great hope and ultimately with comfort in their souls as they look to their ascending Savior, the one who will now be in heaven, seated at the right hand of God for them. And therefore, the kind of comfort that the catechism holds out for us is a comfort that is found in 
the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And the comfort that the the catechism offers us is a comfort that is seen as we ourselves have our eyes fixed, not here below, but on that which is above Christ. And therefore, as the church of Christ, as we go into a, a new year, and as we face many things that we may, may catch us by surprise, we know that we have great comfort as our heads are raised heavenward, our eyes are lifted to Christ there. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, we're reminded of the great words that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And therefore, we are to run our race with our eyes set upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our salvation. This is the comfort that is ours in belonging to him. And we know that we belong to him, as the catechism reminds us. Because as Jesus is led out as far as Bethany, we read in verse 50, that he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now what might that bring to mind? The fact that Christ, as he ascends, has his hands raised, blessing his people. What's the work of a priest? It's the work of the high priest. Even as in the Old Testament, right, the priest would raise his hands over the congregation of the people and he would bless them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's what Jesus is doing. And therefore, as Jesus departs from them, he departs as our high priest. And as our high priest, we know that we belong to him, that he represents us. That's the great comfort that we have in Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. In the remainder of the sermon, I want to now think about the three ways in which Christ, as our great high priest, comforts us, as it's laid out for us in the catechism, but also we see reflected in Luke chapter 24. And firstly, we see Christ, our Redeemer. Secondly, we'll see Christ, our Protector. And then thirdly, we'll see Christ, our Sanctifier. So Christ, as our great high priest, is to be worshipped as our great Redeemer. The Catechism says that he has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. And he's delivered us from the tyranny of the devil. We see this reflected in Luke chapter 24 as he appears to his disciples. Uh, What body part does he draw their attention to? Well, of course, to his hands and his feet. His pierced, his hands that had been pierced, his feet that had been pierced as well as he hung on the cross. And there he paid the penalty for our sins with his precious blood. See, the great comfort that we have is that Christ has paid the penalty of our sins. Throughout the rest of the catechism, especially in part one of the catechism, we're going to see how sin is tethered and tied to misery. Sin and misery go hand in hand. They're best friends. Those who have and and, and still um, bear and carry their sins know only misery. But the fact that Christ has come, a Savior has come, to pay the penalty of our sins means that with our sins being taken away, so our misery has now been removed from us and replaced with comfort. 
Christ has fully removed from us all of our sins. It's why he then commissions his disciples, as he had showed them his hands and his feet, he then commissions them, as he says in verse 46, that it is written the Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. It was by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we find the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of that which weighed us down in misery, now bringing us and lifting us heavenward to find comfort. And therefore, as the Catechism is going to go on to expound and demonstrate for us, as those who no longer bear the penalty of our sins, as those whose sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west, we then can have comfort inward of our own hearts. When our own flesh accuses us, when Satan accuses us, when we become weighed down by our sin, we can find comfort in the midst of all of that by being reminded of the truth that my great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. I am no longer under the tyranny of the devil. I have been delivered. My Redeemer is my liberator. He has set me free. And I no longer need to live as I once did. I can live in the newness of life that I have in Jesus Christ. And so your sins, as you have believed upon Jesus Christ, have been fully paid. Not a penny more is owed. You are free in Jesus Christ. What comfort. What comfort. We see the opposite around us in the world. A a world weighed down by their sin, trudging along in their misery. I mean, we see this all around us. We see this in the way in which the world rings in a new year, singing the song Imagine, right? Because they're so weighed down, they can only but imagine something. We have a reality in Jesus Christ that we don't need to imagine but believe. And that belief is sure and that belief is firm. And so as they seek to imagine, to escape reality, we can embrace it and find comfort because of Jesus Christ. So we worship Christ as the disciples did, who is our Redeemer, who set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Secondly, we worship Christ, our protector. Notice the catechism words it this way. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Many of us can look back on 2022, and many things, I'm sure, caught us by surprise, even as a congregation. Many times getting emails of various happenings of people in the hospital or various um, ailments that, that beset people within their, themselves. or their right? We can all look back and say that, yeah, I couldn't have planned 2022 exactly how it unfolded. And might we not expect the same for 2023? Much to catch us by surprise. Much that we don't anticipate. And yet you can have the comfort that as you head into a new year, a new day, you have someone who watches over you who is never caught by surprise. You have somebody watching over you whose eye is upon you 
who is never caught by surprise. In fact, all that will happen is according to his will and by his power. Not a single hair could fall from your head unless it be the will of your Father in heaven. And so implied within this is, of course, the great benefit in Christ that we have been adopted as his children, that we might know God as our Father who cares for us as a good Father, and one who anticipates everything, one who plans everything for us, so that as we head into a new year, While we may be caught by surprise, we have great comfort and can continue to have our heads raised because we know that someone, our Lord Jesus Christ, watches over us. We have a guardian. We have a protector. We're not alone in this cosmic world. We have one who watches over us, one who neither sleeps nor slumbers, one whose eye is always upon us. And therefore... No matter what comes in this new year, we can have the assurance that all of it, the good, the bad, the tears, the smiles, all of it will work together for our salvation. That is the great comfort you have, a comfort that is found only in Christ. None other can promise you this. He alone is the one who can give us such comfort. And thirdly, We not only worship Christ as our Redeemer and our Protector, uh, but also as the one who sanctifies us, our Sanctifier. Because I belong to Him, because He has purchased me with His precious blood, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. This is what Jesus promised his disciples when he departed from them. As he says in verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This promise is fulfilled, of course, at the day of Pentecost, when the disciples are gathered in the upper room and the Spirit descends upon them, and Christ sends his spirit upon his people. So that though at the time, as he departs from them, as their eyes are lifted heavenward, they may have begun to understand the things that Jesus had taught them, now that the spirit has come, now that the comforter has come, now that he who would lead them into all truth has come, they now begin to grasp the magnitude and the significance of all that Jesus had taught them, of his death and his resurrection and what it has accomplished. And therefore, as the Spirit comes to remind them of those things and to remind you of these things, you now have assurance of eternal life. The Spirit as the guarantee of what is yours, namely eternal life. The Spirit is one sent to seal that life upon you. And the fact that the the Spirit has been given is assurance to the church and to us individually that we have in Christ eternal life. And then it is by this Spirit, as Christ rules us by His Word and Spirit, that He he makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. This change of direction in life, right? No longer living for self, 
no longer living for the glory that belongs to this world and no longer living for the praise of men, but now living for him. That is what this comfort, once we possess it, now enables us to do. We can live for him, no matter the consequences, no, no matter the obstacles, no matter the opposition to the gospel, to Christ, we can live for him. Because there is nothing that the world can, can, um, can send our way, nothing the world can bring against us that can deprive us of the comfort that we have in Christ. And therefore, as we are those who belong to Christ, we are then to live for him. And so the question to you then are, is, are you living for Christ? Are you living for Christ? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for other people? Or are you living for Christ? To live for Christ is not merely to acknowledge him here and there. Not merely to pick up your Bible once in a while. But to live for Christ is that I have died to myself and now my life in all of its parts is wholly devoted to Christ. To live for him is to be devoted to him and to his glory. And so as we make resolutions, as we head into a new year, may everything we do, may all of our plans be done for his glory. And may we live for Christ, who is our Redeemer, the one who has paid for all of our sins with his precious blood. May we live for him who is our protector, who watches over us every moment of every day. And may we live for him who is our sanctifier, who has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And may he then be glorified. In order, in order for us, as we come to a conclusion here, to live and die in this, we have to know three things. And these three things, the catechism is going to go on uh, to explain in the remainder of the other 51 Lord's Days, 52 in total. These, these things are, first, how great my sin and misery are, how God's law reveals that to me. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And thirdly, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. That's going to be uh, the plan moving forward as we go through uh, the catechism. And so as we conclude here, let us be reminded that just as the disciples had their heads raised, their eyes heavenward, so too may we live as for Christ with our eyes looking heavenward. May that be the spirit of us. May that be the posture that we take in all of life as we live for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your redeeming work in sending your Son. We thank you that in him we have been set free from our sin and misery, from the tyranny of the devil. And so, Father, as those who are free, may we live for Christ. May we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. May we not worry but have great comfort, the comfort that comes only in Christ. And so, Father, may we know that comfort in life and in death. And may we look to our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.